Welcome to a special edition of Locked On NBA. It's the local experts on the biggest stories. Locked On Raptors and Locked On Warriors. Sean Woodley, Charles Hamilton, the hosts of the respective shows, give you a breakdown and a preview of the NBA Finals in a way that only the local experts can and only the Locked On Podcast Network can. I won't waste time here. On today's show, it's myself, it's Charles Hamilton, the host of Locked On Warriors, and we go for about 45 minutes previewing a whole bunch of angles of the series. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's very much appreciated, and I hope you enjoy it. We'll have another podcast out on Wednesday. Myself, Katie Heindel, Joey Devine, and Sean Keen are going to do a Round Ball Rock Locked On Raptors crossover episode where we're going to talk all things Raptors, Warriors, and I'm sure it'll get weird because it's Joey, Sean, and Katie joining me on a podcast. So it should be awesome so stay tuned for that wednesday we'll have stuff after game one on thursday as well i'm sure and uh it's gonna be a blast i'm really excited as you can probably sense in my voice the finals are nearly here and the raptors are hosting them in game one unfreaking real anyway here's the conversation with myself and charles hamilton but before we get to it a reminder that today's show is brought to you by grip six ultra lightweight with no holes no flap and it's a great father's day gift grip six has a special offer for you just go to grip slash lock that's Gripsix.com, the number six slash L-O-C-K-E. This message is brought to you by Hotels.com. Every day, thousands of people book trips on Hotels.com that you will later hate like on social media. What's a hate like? It's when your friend Kyle posts an envy-worthy vacay photo and you like it, even though you kind of hate it. It's not that you hate Kyle. It's that you hate that he's on an awesome trip while you're sitting in a bathroom stall at work. Don't hate like Kyle's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there. Get rewarded. Hi, it's David Locke. I've been wearing a Grip 6 belt for a while now, and I love it. It's the only belt I wear because it has no holes, no flap, and no bulk. And now I'm not the only one wearing Grip 6. This is Jake Madison of Locked On Pelicans, and I wear Grip 6 belts and love them because they're formal enough to wear to the office, but I can also throw one on and wear it to my neighbor's crawfish boil. They're also interchangeable, so they always match what I have on. This is Matt Shook from Locked On Pistons. I love my Grip 6 belt because I can wear it for any occasion, formal, sporty, or my particular favorite, the golf course. This is John Corrales of Locked On Celtics. I wear Grip 6 belts and love them because they look great and are always the perfect fit, even as I try to work off some of those winter pounds. Hey, this is Aaron Freeman of Locked on Falcons. I wear Grip 6 belts and love them because they're durable, stylish, and a far better value than anything I could find at a department store. Plus, Grip 6 belts are guaranteed any time, any condition, any reason. Made in the USA, Grip 6 belts for a special Father's Day deal. Go to Grip6.com slash lock. Father's Day deal at Grip6.com slash lock. All right, here's the chat. Myself, Charles Hamilton, Locked on Warriors, Locked on Raptors. A little crossover action ahead of the finals. Enjoy it. Hey, how's it going? Sean Woodley here from Locked On Raptors, joined by the host of Locked On Warriors, Charles Hamilton. Charles, how are you, man? I'm pretty good, man. I uh, I can't complain. Hell, our teams are in the finals, so it's pretty pretty good. 
It is a pretty exciting time. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Thank you to the Locked On NBA crowd. Welcome to the Locked On NBA crowd as well. I think this is being posted on the Locked On NBA podcast feed. Of course, a reminder, please make sure you are subscribing to all the Locked On shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or Himalaya. Himalaya is a great new podcast app. If you're in the market for a new podcast app, make sure you're checking it out. You can personally curate your own playlists. You can follow creators and shows. You can like and comment on shows on the app as well. You can share, uh, you know, there are shareable playlists. You can put together episodes and you can share them with your friends, text, email, whatever you want to do. Find and download Himalaya on the app store or google play don't forget to follow whatever show you want to follow locked on warriors locked on raptors locked on nba or just all three once you're there all right charles we got a lot to get to here to preview the finals there is uh, no shortage of storylines going into this thing but a place i tend to like to start with these previews is to sort of get a feel for what the fan base is feeling like um so I'll, I'll start it off with you like how are warriors fans going into this one it's their fifth straight finals is it like is the novelty worn off yet is it still exciting is it, is it like just are you thrilled that it's just not the Cavs you're preparing for what's the tenor among the warriors fan base right now yeah well first off the novelty will never wear off <laughs> i mean especially being a warriors fan for you know 25 years is we, we never had anything close to this. So uh, for the fans that remember the bad times, we're able to really appreciate it. Yes, it's nice to have a, a different opponent besides LeBron and the Cavs, um, a much more formidable opponent, I'd say, especially over the last two years. Um, also, the, the last year at Oracle, this, there couldn't be a better ending for Oracle Arena than the Warriors potentially winning the finals on, in their last game at Oracle. Um, we'll see what happens, but as far as storylines and stuff, it, there's plenty of reasons to be excited. And the whole, it, it's pretty funny to me on, you know, Twitter, NBA Twitter likes to tell Warriors fans how they feel about, you know, when they win or lose. And even when they win, they can't be that excited. Um, you have no idea what you're talking about. This is, this is the greatest <laughs> thing in the world going to the finals every year. So, uh, we're, we're pretty excited about it. Is there like an added level of, um, I don't want to say like excitement that Kevin Durant's not playing, but is is there like maybe like a refreshed sense of fun because the Warriors have had, like won the conference finals in four games with sort of the old crew minus Harrison Barnes? Um, like, does that did that enhance the enjoyment of that? Is there like a a sense of yeah, KD can come back, but ultimately like as long as they like it, them playing this way without KD is also pretty fun too. Yeah, I mean like. I, I haven't heard much of that from fans. I think we hear it a lot from analysts and people on the outside again mm-hmm. because look, it's great. Game six against the Rockets was incredible. Uh, sweeping Portland was was nice, but again, Portland was such a a favorable matchup for the Warriors. Not that Portland, no disrespect to Portland, but they're just a good matchup. The Warriors match up well whether KD's playing or not. Um, I am of the the belief that. You know, not. I don't know if they need Kevin Durant, so to speak, mm-hmm. but they're a lot better with him. You're, you're not going to convince me that a team is better without you know one of the top two best players in the NBA. Um, but again, it has been enjoyable, has been fun. Uh, it, it is a nice callback to uh, what was it? You know, 2016. But the other thing is too that, that I look at is the depth behind Kevin Durant is is pretty terrible. So, like next year, if KD leaves and you get to see the, you know, the the pace and space warriors of 
of 2016 and all the off-ball cutting and it's mostly Steph and this and that, they'll have a better replacement for Kevin Durant than they do now. Like, they started Alfonso McKinney in Game 4 of the Blazers series, which is awesome. I think it's one of the best stories in the NBA, what Alfonso McKinney's done. I love that they found him. Great bench piece. But when you have to put him in the starting lineup, it's just, it's not that, not that conducive to winning. (laughs) But uh, I I just, I want to tamper down the idea that they're better without KD or that it's more fun without KD because I've heard it from people outside of, Warriors fan base or the organization. I mean, they've stayed on message that they need Kevin Durant back for the finals. And um, whether they believe it or not, it's at the very least to let KD know that they <laughs> they all have his back. So I don't know. It's, it's been kind of weird, but uh, they've been able to continue winning, which is the, the most important part. Uh, I want to ask you, though, because we yeah. skipped over it. I mean, Toronto, first time in the finals. Is this uh, in franchise history? Like, how's how's – How's the fan base out there? They must be losing their minds. Still still losing their minds from Saturday. <laughs> I don't know if they've cleared the streets yet. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a certain level. I don't think the team thinks this. I think the team very much believes that they can win the series, and they've kind of spoken as though after kind of enjoying it Saturday night, they, you know, they've kind of locked in and are getting ready for the finals. The fan base, I don't know if they're quite onto that just yet. Like, obviously, the finals are two days away, and people are very excited and prepared for that and looking at the Warriors matchup and preparing themselves for that. But I do think there's still just, like, a residual just sort of glee that is sort of hovering over the entire fan base. I'm myself. I'm that. I've been sitting around just with a goofy smile on my face for, like, four days, and I, I, I can't get rid of it, and I'm still thrilled. And I just... There is a certain level to this series that is just like, you know, on some level it's just kind of gravy. Like, whatever happens, it kind of is like a more souped-up version of what happened in 2016 when the Raptors made the conference finals for the first time, Mm -hmm. and everyone was really thrilled with that, even though the two series wins in hindsight that they had over a pretty bad Pacers team and an old and decrepit Heat team aren't very impressive. It was still the best the franchise had ever had, and they kind of reached their ceiling that that year, and everyone kind of expected, all right, the Cavs are going to wipe them in four or five games. They took two games, which was remarkable, but I don't think anyone ever really you know, was too upset about losing that series. And I don't think most people will be that upset about losing this series either. I think, you know, it's obvious. The Warriors are favorites for a reason. And Kevin Durant, his return looms. And when he's back, I think that really gives the Warriors a very clear talent advantage. But I think there is a little bit of hope creeping in just because of... A, how this team defends and how they have just like snuffed out two of the best offenses in the league over the last couple series and have been so, so just oppressive on defense for long stretches of games. And if you're going to do anything against the Warriors, I think you have to be, you know, like a transcendent defense to even have a chance. And the Raptors have that. They're one of the best defenses that, you know, when they're at their peak, one of the best defenses of the last few years here in the NBA. And also, I think like the, the KD questions are very real and I don't know maybe we can sort of turn it into this kind of conversation about KD like what's the sense around the Warriors is he gonna even return I know there was rumors that he wasn't going to travel to Toronto for, for the first two games it sounds like today that's been sort of squashed he is going to travel with the team um, still sounds like the first two games are sort of unlikely for him to play in he still isn't doing as Steve Kerr mentioned yesterday uh, any anything in the way of like hard on court training or anything like that? He's taken some shots. That's about it. 
what do you think is the percentage chance that he returns in Game 3? And what's the percentage chance that he doesn't play in the series at all? Because I think all of those outcomes are kind of on the table. This is a very bizarre injury. It's a serious injury. Cavs are tricky to deal with and manage. And I, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised by anything. And if there is hope for the Raptors to win this series, it's that you know the longer this series goes without KD, that's the more opportunities that, that where, where there's just few lesser margin of error for the Warriors and that the Raptors could potentially take advantage of, especially with the first two games at home. What are you thinking is the sort of the prognosis here for KD? Do you have any you know handle on what it is? You're around the team. You're the local expert. Like, what do you think is going to be the outcome of like how many games would you put it at? Like an over under even of how many KD is going to play in this series? Well, you nailed it with margin of error. When they have KD, the margin of error is massive. When mm-hmm. they don't, it's a lot smaller. Um, and that would give the Raptors a obviously a better shot at, at winning some games, winning the series. Um, him traveling with the team is honestly a a great sign because he did not travel to Houston, or excuse me, did not travel uh, to Portland. He stayed at home and was rehabbing. So the fact that he's traveling at least leaves a slimmer of hope sliver excuse me sliver of hope that he would play in game two mm-hmm. i still think that that's very doubtful but the fact that he's going to be there obviously there's a chance a better chance that he would play than the fact that he's not there you know the fact that he's in a different country so that at least gives some hope for game two i've kind of once they said uh what was it on sunday uh, we've had so many different updates injury updates i think it was sunday that he um would be hadn't done any on court stuff. I said game three would probably be his first return mm-hmm. um, because you know Oracle at home. Um, I also think you know I think they're going to play the results a little bit. Right. If somehow Toronto gets those uh, gets the first game, they might look at it like, can you go? Uh, how are you feeling? Can you can you can you play? Mm-hmm. Um, if the Warriors end up splitting one one, if Warriors win game one, I think forget it. He's out game two. Um, they're, they're, I think Steve Kerr is going to play the results, but I do. I feel pretty strongly that uh, Kevin Durant will be playing at some point during this series, and I think Game Three probably at the latest. And the him traveling with the team is like the best sign of progress that we've seen. Uh, him shooting on the court, what was it, like two days ago, and then the fact that he's going to travel are, are the best signs of progress that the Warriors have seen uh, with that injury. So it. It's still up in the air, though. I Honestly, they've been pretty coy about what the actual injury is, how bad it is. Um, honestly, thought he might have been back for the Portland series when it first happened because they were so uh, noncommittal on anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do thank Game 3, personally. Uh, speaking of injuries, Kawhi Leonard has been hobbled, I guess. It, it, um, it's funny to say it because you know, you'll see him <laughs> kind of limp for a second, and then he goes into robot mode and is just fine. But is there any worry on Toronto's end as far as what his injury is and how it might affect him in this series? I don't think so. Game four against the Bucks was when he was really sort of labored and hobbled. I think he only had 19 points in that game, and he kind of had to defer a little bit more. And, you know, that, that was when he had the dunk where he sort of looked like he was yeah. really, really shaken up. Game five, though, he came out, and the Raptors won that game, and he looked 
really good. And he had like the crazy fourth quarter, quarter where he went off and he, you know, was hitting threes over Brooke Lopez and, you know, playing his typical brand of suffocating defense. And he didn't seem all that hobbled. There'll be the odd time here and there where he'll take a jump and land. And he's like, you know, he shakes it off for a couple minutes, but I don't think it's that much of a concern considering how he played, considering the ferocity with which he played at the end of the the Buck series. Like, you know, game six, the, the, the amount of work that he put in in those final 10 minutes or so to just sort of will the Raptors to victory. I don't know if he would have been able to muster that if he was really dealing with a serious injury. Mm-hmm. Also, I think the four days off are really going to help. It's it, it, You know, the Raptors have played pretty much every other day for, you know, a month now. You know, the, the Sixer series was such a slog and such a grind and such a meat grinder. And the Buck series was not much easier. It was a really, really intense series that played every other day. There were no two-day breaks. And I think that was really really sort of taxing on all the Raptors. So I think not just Kawhi, but Serge Ibaka, who has played a lot of basketball, and Kyle Lowry, who's had a a bit of a thumb issue that he's played through and actually improved his shooting numbers with. Um, Danny Green, who has seemed maybe a little bit banged up and very, very errant from three-point range. I think all of them are going to be pretty happy with these four days off. And I'm not too concerned about Kawhi. The Raptors have done a really good job of managing his workload and his pain all season long for this very moment. And I think he's going to be good to go for game one without very much in the way of limitations. Um, Speaking of other injuries, there's another sort of injury hanging over the Warriors as well. And someone that maybe is a bit of a surprise considering how serious the injury looked when it first happened back, I think, in the first round with Boogie Cousins. Um, yeah. There's, I, I think Steve Curry yesterday called him questionable for game one. If he does come back, it sounds like he'll play in the series at some point, whether it's game one or game two or some sometime early in the series. I, I'm curious to, to hear what you have to say about this, though, because me sort of thinking about the series and theorizing what the matchups look like and how the Raptors can attack the Warriors, I'm kind of like pretty stoked on the idea of Boogie coming back. I know Boogie's very talented, but... It's a very short time frame for him to sort of shake any rust off in the middle of the finals gauntlet. And, you know, I think because of sort of the way he plays and the way Kevon Looney has really come on for the Warriors and the sort of the, the problems he poses for the Raptors, I kind of think, like, if DeMarcus Cousins plays 10-15 minutes a game here, I think the Raptors are going to be happy with that and are very much going to try to go at him anytime he's on the floor. Um, what, are, what, are you, what are you hearing on, on Cousins' return and what do you think his return will mean for the Warriors in this series? Yeah, like you said, he's questionable for game one, um, which to me is 50-50, whether he'll play or not, but also to me means that he'll definitely be a go for game two. Mm -hmm. Um, My thing is he probably won't be starting Mm -hmm. uh, because of limit uh, minute limitations, conditioning, etc. I agree with you, yeah, if he was playing 30 minutes a game, like it probably would not be the best thing for the Warriors, especially coming back from uh, his injury and you know the the thing with Kevin Durant is okay this is their third season with Kevin Durant when he comes back from injury they know how to adjust and know how to play with him mm-hmm. uh, Boogie I think played 30 games you know with the Warriors and they were still there were times where it fit great and other times where it didn't but the the benefit with him where I do think he'll he'll be needed is the the it's not the second unit it's the start of the second quarter and start of the fourth quarter units where Steve Kerr will sit Steph, and when KD's healthy, he'll sit both of them. And so that unit has been Clay, and then you know four guys who have been in the G League recently, who are capable players, but still not exactly what you want on the floor. And a point where you can lose the game if the other team goes on a 10-0 run. Um, you know, it's 
Clay, Quinn Cook, Alfonso McKinney, uh, Jordan Bell, and like Jonas Jarebko. And it's they've they've gotten by with it. Mm-hmm. It's it's worked to an extent, but having Boogie on that unit could help. Um, but I agree with you. I mean, people talked about the Brook Lopez matchup was going to be a bad one if it was Milwaukee. I mean, Marcus All, you know, <laughs> shot what thirty seven percent from three this year, something like that. Oh, taking over two hundred. It's not like he can't spread uh, spread the floor and put uh, Demarcus Cousins in that same position. But uh, again, kind of with. Uh, you know how how Steve Kerr is going to play Kevin Durant play the results same thing with Boogie he'll play the results with Boogie if he's getting buckets maybe he'll extend those minutes a little bit if he's playing well he'll he'll stick with them if he's playing bad he's going to be back on the bench and Kevon Looney and Jordan Bell are going to be taking up those minutes and DeMarcus Cousins he won't like it but as far as you know this year being part image rehab as well uh, I think he knows he'll have to kind of take it in stride and mm-hmm. deal with it and not be a problem over the fact that he's not getting a lot of minutes. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, though, because he, I, I'm with you. When he both these injuries, DeMarcus Cousins and uh, and Kevin Durant, both those injuries looked a lot worse in the moment. Like they both looked like, oh, these guys aren't going to be playing for the next year. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, you know, they're both looking at coming back within a month are, is pretty incredible. Um, you mentioned Danny Green and his shooting. Yeah. I'm wondering, because I, I saw his shooting in the playoffs, and I'm like, well, that's not Danny Green. I look at his regular season numbers, he was at like 45% from three. Mm-hmm. You mentioned you think there might be some sort of injury thing with him, or or what, what, what do you think is going on there? Because I believe he's incredibly important for Toronto because of the defense that he can play on Steph or Clay. But if he can't, you know, if he's still shooting 20% from three, I don't know if you can keep him out there. Yeah, I think I'm not sure if there's an injury that might have been irresponsible for me to say. It's just it, he seems like he's a little bit worn down. Yeah, he just seems a little worn down. And he did sort of get a couple of nicks near the end of the regular season. I think there was like a thumb thing, and then there I think there might have been an ankle as well in there. It's all so far in the past now, and my brain is mush from the playoffs. But I, I do think there were, you know there's there's some issues near the end of the season that didn't really. There wasn't enough time for him to really sort of rest up and totally prepare for the playoffs. And he was he's just been kind of inconsistent offensively through most of the playoffs. He's had a couple games where he's gone off against Orlando and Philly, didn't really show up very much against the the Bucks, and sort of had his minutes really scaled back, and he played 16 in Game 5 and 14 mm-hmm. in Game 6. And, you know, if there's something that's, I guess, encouraging, it's not encouraging that Danny Green's playing this way, but there is there are a couple things. You know, he's always been kind of a streaky guy. Maybe he's just in one of those funks, and all he needs is one game to kind of get back on it and get back to you know, 2013 finals levels. But I do think there's um, – the the cushion there is a little bit a little bit more sort of plush kind of behind Danny Green now. It, before Norman Powell and Fred Van Vliet found themselves near the end of the Bucks series, there was just nothing in the way of secondary yeah. guard depth for the Raptors, and it was really, really troublesome. They got around it against the, the Sixers by using really big lineups where Kawhi Leonard was playing the two a little bit, but – you don't want to go to that all all that often, and I, I don't think you want to use that in the in the Warriors series at all. But uh, I think the like the Danny Green factor is a little bit you know diminished because of how good Fred and Norm have been. And if Norm needs to come in and play thirty minutes because Danny Green can't you know hang out there, and the Raptors want to go two point guard lineups to limit the Danny Green minutes, they can do that now, and they can kind of trust that those guys are going to be okay. And so yeah, I, I think it's less of an issue than maybe it would have been before Norm and Fred found themselves again. And also, I guess the other factor is, you know, OG Ananobi 
probably going to return at some point in this series. It's uh, Yesterday it was reported that it was about 10 days away from OG finally getting on the floor after his emergency appendectomy the night before the Orlando series in the first round. He hasn't played yet in the entire postseason. I think there is a pretty good chance he'll play by Game 4, Game 3 maybe if, if they're going to rush him, if they feel like they need his size and his defense. I'm not sure we'll see much of OG Ananobi when he does come back. It seems kind of unfair to just like toss a dude who hasn't yeah. played in a month and a half right into the finals, but... You know, he might be needed for 10, 15 minutes here or there at the four. Uh, and if you have him on the wing, you can sort of, you know, scale down and, and play small. But you can also sort of, you know, limit the need to have Danny Green play a bunch of minutes as well. That just everything kind of helps at that point, all hands on deck. Um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of where I'm at on Danny Green. I think he'll be okay. And I wouldn't be surprised to be, you know, kind of got back to his, you know, 45% shooting ways in this series either. And his defense will be, like you mentioned, really, really important against Klay Thompson. And I'm sure he'll see some time on Steph as well. I think the Raptors are probably going to switch quite a bit, which actually leads me to a question. I was talking about this a little bit yesterday on the podcast I did uh, to sort of look at the big picture questions about this series. So I'm, I'm wondering what you think about this. What style of defense do you think the Warriors do the best and worst job of dealing with? Because the Raptors can kind of play a bunch of different styles, and I think we'll see them play a switching defense. I think we'll see them play a blitzing, sort of get the ball out of Steph Curry's hands and recover type of defense. I think we can see a bunch of different looks here. I think we'll see them try to fight through screens and just sort of play man-to-man and not you know, rely on switching as well. There are a lot of different ways the Raptors can play because they have good defenders at every single spot in the roster, at least of the rotation guys who are actually playing. And they're all so smart, and like there's two former defensive players of the year, a bunch of all defense guys. There are a lot of different ways this team plays defense, and the Warriors are obviously a lot to deal with. But I'm curious what you think, having watched them. You know, what teams have had the best success of slowing them down? What style of defense do you think is sort of the optimal one to use against this Warriors team is currently constituted? You know, it. Uh, strategy wise, I guess switching helps. It, it does work. Trapping. I'm not I, – I think they've seen it for about five straight years, the trapping defense, and have come up with just about every single way to beat it where mm. you kick it to Draymond, then you got four on three with one of the smartest players in the game deciding what to do, whether it's go to the rack, throw an alley-oop to Andre, or kick it to you know the second-best three-point shooter of all time in Clay Thompson. Um, so the trapping, I think uh, – and who knows, maybe doing it with Kawhi and his you know, catcher-mitt you know, hands or whatever uh, makes a bigger difference. But as far as the trapping goes, I think it's you're picking the lesser of two evils. Like, okay, fine. Let, well, Draymond has to beat us then and not Steph. Um, switching, they do have trouble with some switching just because it, it doesn't give them as much room on the pick and roll or anything like that. But I think the main thing, and it's less strategic than anything, is just being big and physical. And mm-hmm. that's what Toronto has. They, I mean, Kawhi is damn near power forward size in today's NBA. Danny Green's a big guy. Uh, Kyle Lowry, even though he's short, that guy, that's a stocky dude. He is, <laughs> he's thick with two C's. Uh, he's like, they can be physical. And that can slow Steph down a little bit. Uh, if you're allowed to be physical off the ball, that'll slow Clay down a little bit. Um, so it's more about physicality than what style of defense. But switching has, has worked well. I mean, that's why they've had trouble with Houston over the last couple of years is because they employ a switching defense with like you said good defenders i mean uh if 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 i could say anything it'd be have you know the best defender in the game in Kawhi leonard and uh, a couple other good defenders be physical with them and that usually 
usually works. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talked about Fred Van Fleet and, and Danny Green and just kind of the depth of this team. I, I noticed they've only gone eight deep, uh, especially mm-hmm. in that Milwaukee series. And part of it is OG Ananobi's out, who you mentioned, uh, which is a big, big loss for them. But also, the depth got depleted with the, the trades they made, the moves they made to get Kawhi, to get Marcus Gasol. Mm-hmm. Do you think they'll go any deeper this series? Because Steve Kerr, he'll, he'll continue to play all his guys until he can't play them anymore, until he's proven, like I said, play the results. Until they start playing poorly, he's going to continue to play his guys. Is there any chance that... You know, Jeremy Lin or former Warrior Pat McCaw end up getting any minutes, or do you think Nick Nurse is going to stick with that that eight-man rotation? Uh, I sure hope Jeremy Lin doesn't play because he has not been good <laughs> since the Raptors picked him up. I I'm ready to never see Jody Meeks hit the floor for the Raptors again either. Right. Um, but I could see Patrick McCaw maybe getting some run. Obviously, he is not really much on offense. I think his usage rate is like sub ten percent when he plays for the Raptors this season, but. He can cause a little havoc on defense. He can jump some passing lanes. If you need someone in a pinch, say someone's in some foul trouble, you want to throw him on Steph for a little bit just to sort of throw a different weird sort of chaotic look at him. Maybe you could get away with that a little bit. Um, But no, I think Nick Nurse is kind of happily settled in on his eight-man rotation, and he's kind of done a good job of managing it. And with Serge Ibaka, Fred Van Vliet, and Norm Powell all kind of being worthy of more minutes than they were against the Sixers, where the Raptors were pretty much just playing with six guys... I I think you can kind of manage the minutes and keep everyone fresh across the board. And with the days off in between games, I think that gives the Raptors a little bit more of an edge there too because you can rest Kawhi and, and Marcus Gasol for two days instead of what they just did the series. They just survived and survived you know swimmingly where they were playing every other day. I think the two days off is going to really be a big difference because they are a bit of an older team, a bit more sort of long in the tooth. Um, but yeah... It, if we see anyone, it'll be McCaw. When OG comes back, I'm sure Nick Nurse will try to get him in a little bit here and there, maybe at the expense of um, some Marcus Saul minutes or Serge Ibaka minutes as the Raptors try to skew small. I think we'll see a lot of Pascal Siakam at center in this series because I think you can kind of get away with that. And the rebounding that, that Kawhi does at the four, it, it kind of, I think, will limit any sort of damage that the Warriors can do on the glass against the Raptors in that configuration. I know the Warriors have their own issues rebounding sometimes too. Um, so if the Raptors want to maintain their, their peak switchability, I think we'll see a lot of Pascal at center, which will open up some minutes for OG and sort of get that ninth guy in there. Um, but until that, it'll be eight guys. I, I, and, you know, Nurse has gotten weird sometimes where he's like for like a minute at a time thrown in Joni Meeks just to save some, you know, yeah. mileage on Kawhi's legs. I don't think you can afford to do that in this series because the Warriors can kill you in a minute. And I like. Yeah. I hope we don't see it. I don't think we will. We haven't seen it for a few games now. The three games the Raptors won, there was no Jody Meeks to be seen except for garbage time. So I think it'll be pretty much the eight guys we've seen. With you know, I would say we'll probably see Kyle uh, Gasol. Actually, not Gasol. Gasol probably around 32, 33 minutes. We'll probably see Kyle uh, Siakam and Kawhi Leonard at right around forty. And then Danny Green, depending on how he plays, anywhere between 14 and 35. <laughs> you know, it can kind of go anyway yeah, with him. Yeah, right. And then you fill in the minutes of the, on like the, the 2K slider for your minutes distribution as <laughs> as the guys play. Um, other, I, I, let me talk to you about the small ball thing. So, typically in your experience, when teams go small against the Warriors, does it work? Like, is it going to be like a, an absolute slaughter if the Raptors do go small and sort of throw Siakam out there when the Warriors are in the death lineup, which they've used a lot of in, this, in these playoffs? Obviously, the death lineup doesn't exist without Kevin Durant, but when he's back, that'll exist, and they still go small with Draymond at center sometimes, even without him. 
how do teams manage that? Does it work when you go small? Is it even more? Is it favorable to try to stay big in that lineup and crash offensive boards? Um, what what have you seen as sort of the best antidote to those lineups? I know the Rockets did okay against that lineup in, in the second round this year, and overall the, the death lineup hasn't quite been as deathly uh, in this postseason. Why is that, and how have teams sort of found little ways to maybe not get so slaughtered by it? I am of the belief that you go you, you go opposite of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I think if you're trying to match small ball with them. You're trying to match what they do better than anyone else. Right. And it's most likely not going to work. Uh, some teams have had some success. The Rockets do pretty well with it. And part of that, a big part of that is, you know, James Harden and P.J. Tucker. You know, James Harden, the best ISO player in the game. And P.J. Tucker, the closest to Draymond that we have in the league, I guess. And not, you know, Draymond has a lot more offensive skill, mm-hmm. uh, not scoring-wise, but, you know, he can do a lot more than P.J. Tucker can do, but P.J. Tucker can can bang with Draymond. Uh, well, he can do it with pretty much anyone in the league. That guy's a freaking tank. Um, but I just, I, I always think that if you're trying to match them at what they do best, it's not going to work. I think you stay big. You may, you may even double down and play two two of your biggest guys against it. Um, you, you stay big and you try and slow the pace, basically, mm-hmm. is, is what I see when you go up against the death lineup, which is a lot easier said than done, even with Kevin Durant out. Uh, Andre Iguodala, who we haven't mentioned, he's going to be fine. He missed game four in the Portland series. It was more precaution, uh, more of kind of, you know, we think we can win without him and we'll be fine. Mm-hmm. So he's gotten almost two weeks off uh, to to rest and, and you know, rehab, whatever. Um, so he'll be fine. And then that fifth spot without Kevin Durant, they played Alfonso McKinney there a little bit, which has worked. They've played Sean Livingston there, which has also worked. So I would just, I don't know, if, if someone can go small and beat them to go the, going that way, I, hats off to them. But I just think you have to do something different instead yeah. of trying to match them. I do, think, uh, I do think the Raptors have like a lineup they could go to or they could survive. And I think, you know, Siakam all season long has been kind of touted as like the next Draymond or whatever. And I don't think that's entirely fair because Draymond is like a transcendent all-time defender. Siakam is very, very good at defense, but he's not Draymond just yet. He might have a bit more offensive juice though. And so the comparison kind of, you know, runs out of juice there. But um, I do think Siakam at center, he can switch across everybody. He can guard point guards. I'm actually interested to see if he'll guard Steph at all, even for just like straight up possessions. Uh, at some mm-hmm. times in the series, just because he can do it against anybody, and maybe you can bother Steph a bit with that length. Um, and I think Kawhi at the four with like Danny Green, Norm Powell, and Kyle Lowry, that gives you the ability to switch across everything because Kyle's very okay to switch on to bigger guys. I think him guarding Draymond is going to be some of like the funnest stuff in this series because I think Draymond will try to post and Kyle Lowry's butt will be like, no, sir. And then it'll mm-hmm. be really fun. And I'm looking forward to how mad Draymond gets and when Kyle Lowry picks up a charge on him or something like that. That'll be great. Um, but so I think that is, if the Raptors are going to go small, that's the look. And I think you can probably try to, you know, milk a few minutes out of that but I agree if they can keep Marcus all out there as much as possible or Serge Ibaka who's been pretty good against the Warriors this season in the two games they played yeah. um, it, I, I think I would rather stay big too I think but I, I do think we'll see some Siakam in center especially after OG returns to the series um, yeah. sorry I cut you off there what, what were you going to ask me next oh no just uh, the only thing and also I, I agree with the, the quality of players but the only problem is um, 
we talk about small ball and really it just means there's not a traditional center out yeah. there um, where, you know, the Warriors are throwing out four guys who are six, seven plus, And then, you know, Steph who's six, three, where if Toronto does it, the, one of their problems would be if you're playing Kyle Lowry and Van Fleet, you know, you got two six footers out there. If, if it's Powell, you know, he's still only six, four. Mm-hmm. So that would be one, just one small, um, thing but I agree with the quality of players like it's, it's going to be an interesting matchup if they do decide to go small uh, I did want to ask kind of a funny question here yeah. because I have a different take on it than just about anyone else um, where are Raptors fans with Drake is that, <laughs> is that your guy you guys love him and, and it's all good or like what's because I know how people feel out here and I, I feel differently than most I, I actually enjoy it I think I'd do the exact same thing if I was in Drake's position but what uh, what do Raptors fans think of it? Are they over it or do they love it? I think like unless you're like a curmudgeonly sports columnist, you're fine with it at the very right. at the very worst. Like I think a lot of people embrace it. I think it's cool. I, I was a little bit um, thrown off, I guess, in the Bucks series when he had that whole little beef with Mallory Edens, the 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 daughter of the Bucks yeah. owners. But like apparently they were both kind of in on it, and it was sort of a mutual fun thing. So I have no problem with it. That's fun. Um, Drake's cool. He talks a lot. He is he's going to annoy people in this series, I'm sure. Um, you know, oh, I yeah. have no problem with him massaging Nick Nurse's shoulders. I lost my mind when he did it again after they won the, the Eastern Conference Championship and Nick hilarious. Nurse played along with the bit. That's great. Um, does he talk a lot? Sure. Yeah, he does. And you know, there are times where he maybe talks too much and it kind of um, you know, he can kind of I don't know, talk himself into a corner sometimes, but mostly, like, he's he's been extremely good for the Raptors. Um, yeah. People people laugh at it, but, like, him being the global ambassador has brought some level of legitimacy and celebrity to the team that every NBA team, that if they want to sort of be, like, legit, kind of has to have. And, and so, yeah, I don't have a problem with it at all. I'm ready for whatever celebrity beef is going to come up with him and whatever celebrities <laughs> are in, in Golden State. I'm assuming Drake will find his way to Oracle for at least one of these games. And yeah. he, him and, like, Guy Fieri can have a little showdown or something like that. I'm oh, all for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, Drake's cool. It, it's, you know, if you're not a curmudgeon about it, then it's not that big a deal. Um, and, yeah. Exactly. It, it's, yeah fun. it's fun. What, yeah, it's the NBA. This is what the fun. NBA is about. Like, stop being, stop being hockey fans about it. <laughs> really? <laughs> so I did want to get one last question in about Nick Nurse and just – the difference between him and Dwayne Casey, I guess, or is there a difference? Is this just mm-hmm. a better roster? What, what I, I personally like Nick Nurse a lot. I mean, I, he's got personality. I think you need that in the NBA, um, at least for you know my own enjoyment. But is is he a better coach? Is he a different kind of coach? Is it just a better roster? A mix of everything? What, what what do you see from Nick Nurse that has gotten Toronto over the hump that they haven't been able to get over for the last you know five years or whatever it is? Yeah, I think it's a mix of everything. I mean, Kawhi is obviously the biggest reason why they're here, as opposed to going out in the second round again. Um, you know, that that dude is very good. And my, one of my favorite little Nick Nurseisms is whenever he starts talking about how good Kawhi Leonard is, he has just like this unstoppable grin that always pokes through. <laughs> like he just, he can't contain himself when he's thinking about how good Kawhi is, and that's fun. Um, but no, I, I think... Dwayne Casey may have done the same thing Nick Nurse did and got this team to the finals with this roster. I I, I, know I wouldn't count it out. I think Nick Dwayne Casey was a very good coach, but he was more of a big picture sort of 
uh, culture builder and was a really good at sort of managing a regular season and cultivating roles for guys. So guys exactly knew what every single night they were going to do. Um, kind of like Mike Budenholzer almost in, in that sort of similar fashion, like really, really good at coaching a regular season, milks as much as he possibly can out of what he has and finds roles for guys that are going to work. And I think we saw that in Detroit this season. That roster was horrible and he made it, he got it to the playoffs. It didn't end well in the postseason, obviously, but he got the most out of that roster. And so maybe the Raptors this season in the regular season would have even, you know, eclipsed the 58 wins they ended up getting if Dwayne Casey was the head coach. But Nick Nurse has done a really, really good job in the postseason of sort of pressing all the right buttons, not giving up on guys. I think Dwayne Casey would sort of make like wholesale changes to his lineup like once a series whenever things got tough after the Raptors would lose a game one or something like that. And that was pretty regular in a lot of the series the Raptors would play. Nick Nurse, there was a sort of a pivot point after game two uh, going into game three of the Bucks series where they're down 0-2. And I think a lot of people were expecting a lineup change, whether it was Serge Ibaka in for Marc Gasol, who really struggled for two games, or Norm Powell in for Danny Green, or maybe both. And he decided to stand pat and said, no, like, this is the lineup that's been really good for me like since the trade deadline. Like, it's one of the best lineups in the NBA. They've been absolutely punking people for the, for the most of these playoffs. I'm just going to stick with it. And he did. And it worked out. Marcus Gasol had a great game. Yeah, Danny Green wasn't great for the remainder of the series, but... It didn't sort of derail him or, you know, cut him out of the rotation. And I think there were a lot of calls for, like, Fred Van Vliet to stop playing heavy minutes after he really struggled through the first couple of games of the Bucks series and the entirety of the Sixers series. But if Nick Nurse were to have sort of given in to those demands and panicked and said, all right, Fred, sorry, dude, you've not given us anything for two rounds here. You're not playing anymore. Guess what they don't have? Uh, an Eastern Conference Championship because Fred Van Vliet going 14-17 from three over the last three games is a big reason why they're there. And him playing uh, really steady defense and sort of running the offense with a little bit more crispness and um, like set sound decision-making at the end of game three, the double overtime game where Kyle Lowry fouled out 16 minutes before the end of the game. Um, like That was essential. And without Fred, they're not here. And I think the way Nurse has sort of managed things, he's very pragmatic. He's not going to overreact. He's very much a um, a student of the data and will sort of expect regression to come a lot of the time. And usually that has paid off for him in this postseason, and he's pressed all the right buttons. He went huge with the super mega big lineup against the, the, against the, the Sixers. He went away from that in this series. He you know found places to get Norman. He stuck with his bench guys. He's really pressed all the right buttons, and... I think he's sort of, the way he's coached this team up for defense as well, obviously, again, helped by the fact that he has all these, like, storied and hallowed defenders on his team, but he has coached it into a really, really sharp and sound and read-and-react type of defense that obviously has some sort of fingerprint of Nick Nurse on it. So, yeah, I'm pretty thrilled with Nick Nurse and the job he's done. He took a lot of heat through the regular season for maybe being a little bit too experimental and sort of, you know, getting a little wacky sometimes, but... It was all in the interest of making sure he knew that there were little wacky lineups he could go to when he needed them in a pinch in, in, over the course of the playoffs. And I think he's done a really good job and sort of uh, lived up to the promise that Masai Ujiri sort of, you know, it was implied when he had to get rid of Dwayne, Dwayne Casey and bring in a new coach. Like, if you're going to do that, you better find someone who's cut out for the job and is going to be able to do it, yep. especially with Kawhi Leonard coming in a month after he got hired. Um, and, I, and I think he's done as good a job as you could possibly expect. Uh, and you know, I feel pretty good about him finding the little pockets of this series to, to exploit. There are obviously not many weaknesses that the Warriors present, but 
it's you know I think he'll find them and I think he'll do a good job of putting the Raptors in the best position to exploit them. Um, Charles, do you have any sort of parting shots, any last notes and thoughts on what the series should we maybe just do predictions? I was going to say, yeah, maybe yeah. a quick prediction. We've got to do that. We'd be the first podcast the ever to not do a prediction, so we got to do it. <laughs> I know, seriously, and we have to we have to stick to them, I guess, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll go with Warriors and Six because I think that would be just a, a great uh, storybook ending to Oracle. Mm-hmm. Uh, game Six at Oracle, Warriors able to wrap it up. I think... It's just going to be tough. I think it's tough for the Raptors uh, offensively. I know they're a great defensive team. I think offensively it's going to be tough for them to to get enough out of the other pieces outside of Kawhi mm-hmm. uh, to to steal four games. Um, I do think they're still good enough to get a couple games, though. I think especially Kawhi can can carry them through a couple wins. Um, I don't know if Fred VanVleet will stick to you know eighty percent three point shooting. Um, if Danny Green can bounce back, that would help a lot. But again, we you know. Haven't seen it yet, so Warriors and six is my prediction. But again, probably six good games. I like. I don't see any blowouts uh, throughout this series coming up. Yeah, I think the series is going long. I think Raptors. The Raptors having home court advantage is very handy as well. Um, mm-hmm. I'm gonna say Warriors and seven, and it, oh, like yeah. just to set up the most heartbreaking possible end for the Raptors because uh, you know this this postseason has been heartbreak free it would be weird if it didn't have some at some point I think the Raptors stand a very real chance of winning this series my heart like wants to pick the Raptors and I think it's not just my heart that's like my brain is kind of sneaking in there too I think there are some real reasons to think the Raptors have an edge here Um, you know it seems almost kind of like a team of destiny considering all the stuff that's happened uh, I would highly recommend reading Mike Prada, Mike Prada, and Tom Ziller. Their their post they wrote at SB Nation today, sort of detailing all the reasons why they think the Raptors are going to win. Because I think there's some very mm-hmm. real arguments in the Raptors' favor, but I kind of am terrified of like the Warriors just kind of doing that championship thing where it's like, <laughs> oh yeah, no, we'll turn it yeah. on and win it when we need to. The second halves are going to be horrifying. Um, <laughs> so I'll say Warriors in seven in like a really hotly contested series, but I would not be shocked at all if the Raptors won. And if that happens. We party. No, yeah, no doubt. I like. Look, I want to see the Warriors win, but I would much. I would enjoy a Raptors win also. Like, I, I, that's a city that deserves it, a team that deserves it, and uh, I think that would help keep Kawhi around also. What a cordial finals this is going to be. Raptors fans oh, no, just like unfazed. We, uh, this is way too nice. <laughs> like you're not dealing with Cavs. You're, you're just like the Cavs four year rivalry is over, and it's like yeah, the, the yeah. Raptors fans like. They just they can't even possibly get upset by anything because they're just still like numb from the weekend. Um, yeah, yeah. it's a very very nice finals. <laughs> yeah, just lay back, watch yeah. some basketball, whatever. <laughs> it's going to be really good basketball, by the way. Oh boy, that's for sure. I'm I, I think we're on the same page there for sure. Yeah. Uh, all right, Charles. I think we should probably wrap this thing up. Uh, everyone, <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in and listening to our finals preview, the Locked On Raptors, Locked On Warriors crossover podcast. Please make sure you're checking out. Both these shows and all the other Locked On NBA shows, Locked On NBA proper as well on the uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play feeds, or go to Himalaya, brand new podcast app. It's uh, great for personalizing your own podcast playlist. You can follow creators. Make sure you follow Locked On Raptors, Locked On Warriors, Locked On NBA, Locked On Grizzlies if you're interested in that coaching search, all that stuff on Himalaya. And uh, download it for free in the App Store. Uh, All right, that's going to do it. Charles, anything you want to promote? Anything people should be checking out from you? No, you got it, man. Locked on Warriors. I mean, 
that's that's it. That's all I got. <laughs> uh, also, big thanks to Hotels.com, Untucket, and Grip6 for sponsoring today's show. Always. Everyone, enjoy the finals. It's going to be a blast. Charles, I'm sure we'll talk again at some point during the finals. And oh, definitely, man. Thanks a lot. This was fun. Take it easy.